welcome back to another episode of the Conservatarian Podcast. We're just going to dive right into it. I know it's been a minute, but there's a lot, a lot going on, a lot going on. So, the pipeline hack, as it's being referred to. So, as everyone knows, it's all over the news. A bunch of states are already in a state of emergency because of the lack of gas and fuel next to this supposed hack on... Uh, the Colonial Pipeline. Uh, so prices are already going up <laughs> pretty high. Like around where I live, I think somebody said three thirty now. And usually it's like just over two, like two ten, something like that. So that's a that's a pretty sizable jump up. Uh, and a lot of stations are out of gas, so it's like, <laughs> you know, what are you supposed to do now? Um. As far as this issue goes, uh, they said they got the pipeline back up and running uh, to some degree. So all we have to do is wait for things to kick back in, basically, more or less. Um, but <laughs> have, have you guys seen the pictures and videos coming out about all this? Like, <laughs> people filling up plastic bags with gas like that's not just gonna eat through it you know <laughs> uh or seen once too where people putting gas in like clothes baskets like with holes in it. i guess they're just trying to fill up the bottom before it overflows you know the whole thing or something or they're going out there with a bunch of bowls and putting gas in it and it's like what like, that, you're not even supposed to be sold gas if you don't have the correct container for it. Like, they can refuse to sell you the gas, which is what they should do, honestly, because th it's just ridiculous. It's the same thing, like, when COVID first broke out, and they're talking about, oh, there's going to be a toilet paper shortage. And sure enough, everybody went out and made a toilet paper shortage because they were all buying toilet paper they didn't need. I think we just now... Well, not we, but my grandparents just now used the toilet paper, like, finished using the toilet paper they got when COVID first was a thing. Back when the state of emergency was issued by President Trump, like, however long ago that was, I don't know, it's, everything's running into itself here lately. Um, so yeah, that was, that was stupid, and that was crazy, and this is also stupid, and it's crazy. If people would just buy gas like they normally would... We probably would have been fine. Um, and as a lot of people online were pointing out, you know, the real crisis starts when uh, you use all the gas and the 18-wheelers don't have any to deliver your packages or the goods to the grocery stores. Then you'll really be screwed. And you'll have yourselves to blame, I reckon. And, uh, <coughs> you know, I saw another one, too. It was uh, some dude in his truck. And he was like, if y'all voted for Joe Biden, y'all owe me money. And, uh, you know, all I'm going to say is, uh, you know, Joe Biden doesn't really have a hand in this, per se. He needs to take strong action to correct it and to find out who did it and, and all that. But um, I wouldn't say this pipeline shutdown is of his doing, you know, uh, not to say that. They're not happy about it. I'm sure they, I'm sure they're loving it. You know, you know how they are. They're, they rub stuff in your face all the time about it. Uh, who was it? The energy secretary, whatever. It's like, well, um, 
This crisis wouldn't be as big if more people drove electric cars. Well, that's not helping anything now, is it? What a stupid and redundant statement. Like, everybody's got the money to go out and buy an electric car. And, All right, everybody, go out and buy a Tesla. I don't know, but I'm sure they'll uh, they'll want to pass another big spending bill to make sure everybody can afford an electric car. Like, uh, that's not going to have any repercussions whatsoever. But it's, uh, it's very telling that uh, almost nothing's been done about it. And all the senior cabinet uh, officials have done nothing, really. They go out and they say some generic things like, you know, the situation is uh, a situation, basically. Um, so it's a joke. Uh, Biden should have been a lot more tougher on this. And, uh, you know, uh, ultimately, I think a lot of it comes down, though, to the American people. And uh, the people are going out buying gas they did not need and creating more of an issue than there already was. Um... So on to the next topic, what's going on here. Everybody remembers that uh, last COVID relief bill, they got rammed through without a single Republican vote. That also extended unemployment benefits, the $300 extra. And uh, now a lot of Republican states are fed up with it. (coughs) They have a bunch of job openings and nobody's wanting to get a job. Uh, you know, in April, there were only 266,000 jobs created. Only. That fell far short of expectations. And under Trump, every every month it beat expectations as far as job creation. We were starting to bounce it back. All Joe Biden had to do was let it keep doing its thing. Literally, I would have given him credit for doing that. Just let it keep on rolling. But, <coughs> nope. They want to keep pushing all this lockdown BS and mask up BS and, and, and all this, and it's not working. There's far more job openings right now than there have been in a, or a long time. Uh, so a lot of Republican states are, are done with it. They're saying, all right, we're not accepting the federal $300 unemployment benefits boost. Um, Georgia was the latest state to do it. Uh, here in South Carolina, our governor already did it, Mr. McMaster. Uh, and about it, he said that it would put us on the road to socialism, which I can kind of see. You're basically telling people, you know, you can make more not working. We'll, we'll take care of you. There are people on unemployment right now making more than I make and, and that are making more than, <laughs> you know, what a lot of people I know make. Um, I just got let go of my other job, and uh, I got a new job. I'm still in retail, but uh, back to part-time, basically. And uh, they're hiring like crazy over there at this, uh, well, I guess I can say where. I work at Food Line now. And uh, they're hiring like crazy. Everywhere's hiring like crazy. They had me, uh, I work in produce over there, and uh, they get me to help over in groceries sometimes. So when produce closes at uh, 7 I'll go and work in grocery till 10 or 11 or whatever. And one night, it was just me who was there helping them and four other people. And I was telling the managers, like, yeah, because you can still make more in unemployment than you can work in. That's why nobody wants to come here. There's plenty of jobs everywhere. And there's somehow still people saying, oh, I can't find a job. There are hundreds of opportunities. Almost every business I go by in town has a hiring sign 
out there. So uh, so let's let's read McMaster's full statement here. It said, uh, we've got help wanted signs up everywhere. We get calls and letters and texts from people from all sorts of businesses all across the state looking for people to work. Uh, this was an interview McMaster did with Tucker Carlson. And then uh, he declared federal benefits are uh, as close to socialism that I've seen. He said uh, people won't come to work because they're getting as much money or more in some cases by staying home. We've got people and businesses that are looking for people actively every day and can't find them because they're at home drawing this pay. Go get a job and get back to work. That's how you build an economy, build a family, and everything else. It's just common sense. It really is just common sense. Look, I'm not going to pretend like I love going to work every day. Although I do like this new job at Food Line. I, I'll admit I like it better than what I was doing. Even though I took a pay cut by going back to part-time. But I enjoy it. It's a lot better. But uh, I don't, almost no one loves work unless you manage to get the field that you've been wanting to do like your whole life. But I would rather work and feel like I'm doing something productive than just sitting at home collecting money. Like there there's no way in my mind I was gonna sit there after I got let go of and say, huh, oh, I guess I'll go claim unemployment. Alright, here's the story about that. Just quick uh quick uh sidestep from the main theme here. Alright, so I got let go of at Walmart and uh, as soon as I got home from it, like I came in, had my uniform on and everything. And the first thing they did, they let me go, gave me my final check, and that was it. No hard feelings or nothing. You know, I wish them all the best. Uh, as they did to me also. So, you know, it's all kosher. Oh, all good. And uh, went home, started putting in applications. And I've been, I've been thinking about leaving for a while. So, you know, I was like, okay, well, we'll take this opportunity. So that night, I was putting in an application for Food Line. Did it halfway, stopped, take a break. I think I went to eat something. And the store manager calls me. And uh, I missed the phone call because I left the phone in my room, but I, I listened to the voicemails like, hey, you finish this application and uh, give us a call back. So I finished it up, gave him a call back. And he was like, uh, well, can you come in for an interview tonight? I said, yeah. Went in that night, got the job, came in the next morning, and was back at work. So, you know, not every situation is going to be as fluid as that was. That was like unemployment speed run. But if I can do that, then I think a lot of other people can too. People and businesses are looking for workers desperately. And, you know, I'd be taking advantage of that right now. Um, especially with all, all these openings, all these openings, it's, uh, it's crazy. But uh, to also top all that off, uh, the number of Americans filing new claims for unemployment benefits dropped to a 14-month low last week as companies held onto their workers amid a growing labor shortage to help to curb employment growth in April. Uh, so this also has to do with the federal benefits. A lot of people say, no, that's not affecting it. I don't see how you could possibly say it's not affecting it. You know, it's, it's pretty simple. And it's common sense, like, if you can make more money at home on unemployment, ride it out as long as you can, right? Like, that's the mindset, because it's simpler to do it that way. You'd almost have to be an idiot to want to go to work for less money, you know? 
Yeah. People aren't going to want to go back. And some of these states are still having pretty stringent lockdowns. Um, and they need to loosen up. It's been far too long under all this constrictive lockdown measures. And it's not helping us bounce back from it. And I think it's keeping people in a state of mind where they're in fear and it's like nothing's going to get back to normal. You want to get back to normal, let businesses open up the way that they know how to open up. Let businesses dictate the best ways that they can take care of their customers. They know their customers better than anyone because they're their customers. So the people that go in there and buy the stuff or use whatever service the business is giving. You know, no business is going to be stupid and not want to take care of their customers unless... I don't know, your Amazon or something. I don't know. <laughs> you just do something stupid. I don't know. Uh, but yeah, it's... It's crazy. And I think we just... We gotta kill these benefits. We gotta kill the unemployment benefits. At the start, I understood it perfectly well. Because some a lot of times the benefits don't equal up to what you were making. And it wasn't fair to people who were being let go of during the time. But also, you know, that's also what the PPP was for, right? And I was supposed to give money to businesses to continue to pay their workers. Uh, so it almost makes you wonder why we did it in the first place. But like I said, I understand at the start, when it started, it was what, 600? I think it was 600 added in unemployment, something like that. I might be wrong, I might be wrong, so don't quote me on that, but, you know, at this point, it's, it's been enough, it's been enough, and we need to start taking a look at our spending big time, because we're seeing record inflation, we haven't seen inflation like this since, like, 2014, and it's continuing to grow, and that's gonna, I mean, your dollar is gonna be worth even less, so things are gonna cost more. Even though they're technically not costing more, it's just the dollar's worth less. But, you know, that's how it looks. It looks like things are costing more. And uh, for whatever reason, that's just not a big concern, I guess, to a lot of these Democrats. They say, well, we can just keep doing it. And, you know, if you don't like big spending, you just don't care about the issues. No, I think we can care about the issues and do it in a proper way. And, you know, it's not like you can't do a spending plan that's like, you know, four years of spending to reach a goal, so you do a little bit every year to, to reach it or something. Something like that, instead of dropping a bunch of money we don't have on it and just continuing to print money and borrow and all this all this other BS. Um, but while we're dealing with all this, the inflation, uh, the pipeline, gas shortage, looking like 1979, uh, we still got the border crisis going on you've had 20 republican governors call on biden harris to go to the border and do something and it's a friendly reminder uh harris has not gone down to the border vice president harris has not gone down to the border after joe biden put her in charge of that as long as, as well as uh putting her in charge of like almost everything important that a president's supposed to do. So I don't I don't even know why he's still in there. He might as well just resign and give it to her at this point because he's telling her to do everything. He's like, I'll entrust you to do this. I'll entrust you to do this. Go watch his speech to Congress. He turned around and said it on like four times or something. Um, <coughs> it's uh, this border crisis, man. 
you know, I don't, I really don't think I even need to say anything about it. It's pretty obvious what went what went wrong there, and it's uh, pretty obvious what needs to be done to fix it. If you don't crack down on it, you're gonna let them keep coming over here, and it's not just refugees. It's not just people looking for, you know, a a, a second chance. It's not just people from these uh, Latin countries. It's people coming all the way over from the Middle East, people on on the FBI terrorist watch list, they come over, they go down to these, you know, Guatemala, Mexico, and all these countries, they come up through these caravans, with the caravans, and they try to come through the border. They let themselves be captured, because Border Patrol would bring them in, they'll feed them, they'll try to take care of them, and then they'll release them. Explain how it makes any sense. It doesn't. It doesn't make sense. It's It defies logic and reason. Why would we bring them here and release them into the country, no less, and then just expect them to show up on whatever court date they're given? Which, by the way, is backlogged tremendously. You want to do something about it, I'd say get more judges on these, uh, you know, um, asylum claims cases. Get more judges on it. See if we can get, like... Uh, state courts looking at it or something, you know. Um I think that would help speed things up so you not you don't have to have all these people contained or all these people waiting. Um but we definitely need to return to the uh uh the policy where people have to wait in their home country to be heard. You can't just come over here. So we need to return to you cross the border, we return you to your home country, we send you on your way. And that's it. And like it's at the point where Mexico is doing more to protect our southern border than we are. Mexico literally still has troops along the border, you know, and we have an administration that seemingly does not care about having a border. They, you know, and you can't have a nation with open borders because at that point you have no sovereignty. If you have no sovereignty, then you know it's just it's just whatever. And uh, I don't think it's much a secret, too, that the left is hoping to gain more votes by bringing these people in and granting them citizenship and saying, ah, you vote for us, we'll take care of you. Um, so <laughs> you got a lot of that going on. Then you've got these election bills being brought up by uh, Republicans and election bills being brought up by the Democrats, and it's just... Two completely different views on what voting legislation is supposed to look like. And it's scary. It's scary. I don't know how you can have two completely different bills about the same issue. You know, it's not like gun rights. It's like it's an election. That should be really common sense. Make it easy to vote and hard to cheat. That's all you need to do. We need signature verifications on things. You know, you need to allow the poll watchers to watch. Don't kick them out or whatever. Document every step of the way on these the verifications of uh, votes and of the electorates and, and all this. Make people confident in the elections, and then you won't have people saying, oh, the election was stolen. Because so nobody showed them otherwise. All they say is, that's a conspiracy that's a conspiracy. It didn't happen. That's not showing proof that it didn't happen. People need to be showed proof. Because they're sure not going to believe the media. The media that's lied to them 
over and over and over again, and they're not going to believe a government that's lied to them over and over again. They need to be shown proof. So I support, you know, Arizona doing the election audit it's doing for Maricopa County. I wish other states would do that, and I'm proud of these states passing election reform laws. And I wish the left and all these woke companies would actually look at the laws and see what it's being talked about instead of going to, you know, uh, progressive talking points and saying, oh, we're going to pull out of Georgia. We're going to pull out of wherever and la la da. We're going to help kill the economy and kill jobs <laughs> is basically what you're saying. Um, so, yeah, those are that's like the main topics we got going on. So, uh I guess we're just going to segue into like the next half. So put the segue here. So what's going on with the Republican Party? Well, let's break it down. So you've got Liz Cheney and a handful of other Republicans basically saying that uh, we need to break off from the Trump era. We need to make sure he has no part in this party ever again. And we need to remove any and everything that was ever Trump-related to the Republican Party. And uh, the problem people are having with that is Liz Cheney is the, or was, excuse me, the uh, Republican Conference Chair. uh, Which basically means you're in charge of messaging, more or less. And uh, that wasn't helping the conference, because it was like she was going after Trump more than she was Pelosi. Schumer and Biden, and there's a big problem when you're supposed to be a top, you're number three in Republican leadership, and you're going after the former Republican president over the opposition, who, by the way, are having the most terrible and irrational policies uh, brought up that I've ever heard of and seen. Um... Versus Trump, who, by all accounts, uh, supported legislation that was pretty conservative or, uh, you know, it was pretty populist and fairly moderate, too, to be honest with you. Uh, so, uh, the GOP in the House had a, had a problem with that. So, uh, McCarthy brought it up to a vote, and he himself said, look, uh, we need somebody that's going to be on board with, like, 90% of the rest of the conference, and they supported at least Stefanik, who uh, got the Trump endorsement. Now, there's been a lot of Republicans coming out saying, oh, well, Stefanik is moderate, and Cheney's actually more conservative than her. It's like, okay, that's fine, that's fine. But if you actually look, right, Stefanik's voting record has started to fall more in line with Trump over time. She's the kind of person that will listen more to her constituents in her district, and her district voted for Trump overwhelmingly, and they support Trump policies. So she's swinging that way. And I don't mind having a moderate in charge, because ultimately, right, Stefanik knows how to flip these seats. Look, she had a super PAC just dedicated to electing women to Congress, and that helped us. That helped us a lot. I think we have more women right now in the GOP than we've had in a long time. I think this is the most diverse Congress we've had, if I'm not mistaken. And a lot of that is due to the Republican Party electing a lot of women and uh, minority groups. Which is great, by the way. I I love it. I love it. Um, But she has experience in, in flipping these seats. And she has experience in 
being able to unify and look past her personal differences. And that's something Liz Cheney could not. Uh, my own congressman, Ralph Norman, said basically the same thing. He said, I like Cheney, but the problem was she could not put her personal differences aside. And she keeps bashing Trump and essentially bashing, uh, bashing all you know, the people that voted for Trump. And that's you just can't have that in the conference. And that's exactly right as far as... Uh, the future of the Republican Party goes. And a lot of people are saying, you know, all, almost every article online is saying, oh, she supports the election uh, fraud lies, and, and they word it in such a way. Uh, the media is never going to let that go. They're never going to let it go. Um, and then in the eyes of a lot of conservatives and, and Trump supporters, they just keep saying that because they cheated and got away with it. Um, and like I said, that all goes back to the elections being verified, like, officially, 100%, show us definite proof it wasn't stolen. Um, and that shouldn't, that really shouldn't be hard to do. I don't know why that's an argument, like, you want to keep calling people conspiracy theorists, it shows them the proof it wasn't stolen, and that's it. It's done. Like, why are you fighting all of these audits if it wasn't stolen? Like, you make yourself look suspicious when you do all that. But anyway, back to the topic at hand. So I think I do think this is a good move for the GOP. I like Elise. Uh, I watched her a lot during the first impeachment hearing. She's very smart, very educated, a uh, woman from New York. Um, and I look forward to seeing what happens. I think the Republican Party is a good shot at taking back the House. Uh, and I hope we get back the Senate. And I hope that we come off strong in our messaging and we can appeal to voters not just on a logical standpoint but also an emotional standpoint that's where we fail time and time again people think republicans are heartless and don't care about anything except money and that's just that's not true that's not true and if you've listened to this podcast you'll know that's not true because i i'm basically republican i don't consider myself a party a party kind of guy but i'm basically republican you know i'm a conservatarian right and if you listen to some of the issues I'm talking about, you know, I'm very passionate about the issues I believe in. And I hope everyone would be passionate about the issues they believe in. But the problem is the Republican Party never comes off as passionate about things. That's why I like the fact that we elected a lot of the people we did this last time around. Because I think a lot of them are really good and effective at being able to connect with people on an emotional level. Madison Cawthorn, you know, uh, no use of his legs, basically. Got in a horrible car wreck. You know, very dark place in his life. And he was able to spring up from that. By the way, if you want to hear that story, uh, Jason Chaffetz has a podcast. And he has an episode with Madison Cawthorn in it. Um, and even if you're not a big Republican, like I said, uh, it's still worth a listen. It's a really cool story hearing how he went through all that and managed to overcome it and run for Congress and win as the youngest member of Congress. That's really cool. Um I have utmost respect uh, for that. But uh, also got other newcomers. Brian, I think Brian Donalds is his name. Also a solid guy. I like him a lot. Uh, he's very articulate. And he's good at getting the message across. So people like Tim Scott, too. Very, uh, uh, have the emotional appeal to when they're talking. By the way, his speech that he gave after Biden's speech, uh, I loved it. It was great. And uh, some of the things that were said from people on both sides of the aisle was very disappointing, very disgusting. And it, uh, I'm not going to lie, it made me pretty angry. 
Um, I get pretty defensive over my representatives. Uh, kind of the kind of person, you know, it's like, well, they represent my state, so I don't know why you're talking. You know, kind of that mindset. Uh, but if I keep that mindset, that means I can't talk trash about Nancy Pelosi. Um, so I'll let it slide. <laughs> but yeah, I think if we keep heading more in a direction where we can make these logical arguments in an emotional way to let people know that we do care and this is why we care. And, you know, it's about more than just how things feel. It's also about how they are. And if the how things are is good, then it's better than just thinking it's good or saying it's good. You know what I'm saying? So I look forward to seeing what the Republican Party does. Uh, I think ultimately we're going to come out of this in pretty good shape. Uh, the party needs to maintain a unified front. That is probably another one of the huge issues with the GOP. The Democrats always keep a unified front, like 99.99999% of the time. That's a Ben Shapiro joke, by the way. <laughs> um, and Republicans don't because we're the big tent party. We have multiple ideas. We have moderate Republicans, conservatives, uh, libertarians. Uh, we've got some liberal-leaning Republicans, honestly, in there. And uh, we're just a huge, a big tent party. I'm like, and I love that about it. I think that's that can attract a lot of people to our party. Um, and I hope, I hope it does. I hope that gets more people to run, even if they're not as conservative as I am, or if they're even more libertarian than I am. You know, whatever. As long as we can get more people running, because I think that's also our biggest strength. We have the same like core values. You know, freedom, love to the Constitution, all this stuff. And that's the heart of the Republican Party. And we love our country. We love our country. We want to see it thrive. And everything else is a matter, uh, a matter, a matter of political, you know, ideology and, and preference. And I think us having such a wide tent of ideas helps the conference f form a a better platform because it brings a bunch of different ideas from a bunch of different voter groups. And we can use that to come to, like, a huge voter base, which is kind of what Trump did, really. He managed to get a decent bit of, uh, you know, more classical liberal-leaning people, moderates, uh, right-wing populists, a little bit of left-wing populists, conservatives, uh, some libertarians. You know, he built up a, a pretty sizable base, which is why it's important that the Republican Party holds on to that base and make sure that Trump still has a role to play in the party. Um, because without that, the GOP will go back to the days of Bush, uh, who seems very popular with the left, and I can't imagine why. It's not like, you know, he's basically didn't put up a fight whatsoever. You know, Trump actually put up a fight, and that's why they don't want him to have a voice in the party. It's why you still have, you had a bunch of Democrats coming out and saying, oh, you know, Bush was a good guy, and Liz Cheney's a good person, you know. It's like, why are you telling the GOP who they need to have in their party? You know, it'd be like, we start saying, ah, Democrats don't need Nancy Pelosi. They need to put uh, Adam Schiff as speaker or something stupid. But uh, anyway, I think that about covers it, really. Uh, so that's just my thoughts on some of the issues going on. And uh, hopefully that gives you a little bit of insight into... 
maybe what some conservatives are thinking or what some libertarians are thinking or what I'm thinking or whatever. So I hope this has been a triumphant return or whatever. And uh, hopefully you'll enjoy. Remember to give me some ideas and suggestions on what uh, topics I should talk about. You know, and I'll try to get uh, some more guests on because I had a blast uh, with Gunner on the podcast episode about the Second Amendment. Which, by the way, if you haven't seen, please check it out. Um, But yeah, so I guess I'll, I'll do another one sometime later, hopefully. I don't take another, like, six months off or whatever it was I did. Hopefully, uh, I get back into it. So, yeah. See you guys in the next podcast. Conservatarian signing off, I guess. Oh, yeah, that'll be the outro. Conservatarian signing Anyway, goodbye.